Hello and welcome to this week's Rising as One podcast. This is Dominic joined by both my co-hosts Aaron Blau and Kyle Mackey. How are you guys doing? It's a rough weekend doing? here. We are both a, we had the rising loss and we had a Sun Devil loss this weekend. So, so it's a little depressing to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you're a Cardinals fan, you can throw them in there as well. It really was a tough weekend for uh, for Arizona sports here in the Valley. The only solace I have is that my Buffalo Bills are 3-0, which does not happen very often. <laughs> hey, no, I mean, absolutely happy for you guys. It's it's great to see everything that's going on in Buffalo right now. And I mean, the Bills' Twitter is just on fire. Oh, yeah, the, oh, gosh. Okay, that's completely different stuff. We got to actually keep things locked down a little bit. Aaron, how are you doing, you know, your full-time job is accounting. Your part-time job is taking your kids to parties. This is like your fifth obligation, right? Uh, you know, it depends on the day. Uh, it's, it's just all, when it's Monday night, this is my number one priority. But uh, sometimes on Sundays, you got to take this with a five-year-old to a birthday party. It bounce you and hear little girls screaming up and down as they're going up and down slides. Um, it, or, uh, you know, if it's Saturday, then I'm on the field blowing a whistle uh, or yelling as either a coach or a referee for AYSO 688. So, uh, yeah, I keep busy. Well, we're honored to have you in our presence through Skype, at least for uh, once. <laughs> well, I appreciate you recording a little bit later than normal uh, in order to accommodate my uh, ridiculous family schedule. Hey, it's all good. Um, any any thoughts on this streak before we jump into the recap of this match? Because, you know, if anyone listening didn't know, we played Fresno, came on the short end of the stick 2-1 for the first time in three months, or no, four months. 20-match um, win streak ends. But, you know, what are you guys' thoughts on the streak at large and how amazing it was? Well, I, I think it, it has a lot of implications for us here in Phoenix, at least, uh, with our last loss being on May 4th, uh, reeling off 20 wins, we got we actually got some local press coverage. We actually got some local attention. Uh, we got some national attention. We had some, you know, in that in that period of time, we we're also having some comments from Barstool Sports or, you know, whatever else is going on. So uh, I think this win streak really elevated the view of Phoenix in the national sports market in terms of soccer. Uh, in the same way uh, that, that Dominic and I, right before we started recording, we were talking about the Sacramento Republic uh, bid for the MLS and how that looks like it's going in a very positive direction for you, for them. And, and that we can't feel bad for them. They're doing things in the right way. Well, this shows that we're doing things in the right way. It really adds to... to what's going on here in Phoenix. It gives us more of a uh, more exposure in terms of a potential bid for, for ourselves for MLS. And it just brings in more fans because more people know what's going on. I have people in my synagogue asking me, what's the number up to? I know that they're not big soccer fans, but they know that I am. So they're wanting to talk about it because they know that I'm into it. So very, very, very cool stuff. Yeah, Kyle, do you have anything to add there? I mean, it really, you know, the same stuff that Aaron 
has been saying the attention that has come from it i mean it's really just been validation from the way we see it this team has earned you know all the respect and all the coverage that they've gotten throughout this streak and yeah i mean I, the same with aaron i have you know co-workers and people that know me that you know they don't follow this team but they hear about the team in the news and and you know they're always asking me on monday morning did we win what's the streak at so it's going to be a bummer tomorrow but you know we talked about it. The streak had to come to an end at some point, and really, I think this was a good time. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if we lose or draw at New Mexico next week and they're the ones that end the streak, the banter is going to be so insufferable because they've already had our number with a couple draws and the penalty shootout win in the Open Cup, and then it's the Four Corners Cup at stake. If they win that match next week, they win the Four Corners Cup, and it would just be a nightmare, honestly. Um, with the streak comes a lot of pressure, too. And I'm sure that Rick Schantz had the guys focused on one match at a time, not getting too caught up in that. But I think there comes a point where, of course, that's going to be a weight on people's shoulders. Even if you're not trying to admit it. I mean, we went four and a half months without a loss or even a draw. At some point, everyone's looking at you guys and saying, how can we make this stop? Everyone turned on Phoenix Rising. I mean, even if you go on USL Reddit, you know, around like the time we were breaking the streak with 11, 12 wins, people were like, oh, that's cool. Congratulations. The tone was generally that. By the time we get to like 18, 19, 20, I feel like almost everyone is rooting for Phoenix to lose. And so, you know what? I'd rather see it now than come back to bite us in the playoffs or in a crucial match for Four Corners Cup or... um you know, any home match or it ends the dollar beer night streak, it's not the worst way for it to happen, and they played hard. And as far as the streak at large, Aaron, you're so on the money with... Actually, both you guys are on the money with... The streak gave us additional exposure that we would not regularly get. You know, Joseph Lowry being able to talk about Phoenix on Total Soccer Show for a couple minutes on two occasions... Um, Sirius XM Radio getting a lot of stuff about Phoenix Rising out there. Barstool Sports, like you guys were saying. I, I was at the at a Buffalo Wild Wings yesterday um, with a bunch of ASU screens and some other stuff on, and no one no no Phoenix Rising screens. But I asked them to change it, and no no questions asked. No like, wait, who's Phoenix Rising? What? And the guys like, oh okay, cool. One minute, he's got it on six screens. That's the kind of recognition that we've gotten. People just know who Phoenix Rising is now. They know what this team stands for, the commitment to excellence. And it was it was amazing cuz like Sam Dore said yesterday, I don't I don't think we're going to see a 20 match win streak at any professional level in the US. I mean, in in, 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 in any sport, in like any sport. You can pick any sport, whether it's football, basketball, I mean, it could be double-A baseball. Like, it doesn't matter. 20, 20 without a loss is just absolutely – well, it's not 20 without a loss. That's the big difference. 20 wins. You know, it, it's 20 wins. I mean, most other sports don't – there isn't a way to have a draw, but it's 20 wins in a row. And that's just – it's just crazy, absolutely crazy. Yeah, and I think the fact that the number got as yeah. high as it – Yeah, it is. Go for it, Kyle. I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, when you take into consideration that any match could could end in a draw 
and how many matches that we had late ge- late game heroics and I mean like the Los Dos match where we have to show the result to come back on the road Tacoma as well I mean there was countless matches where you thought that the streak was possibly going to end and and to you know 20 times be able to come out and be the better team it, like you guys said it does not happen in the modern sports it just it does not happen you never see this this kind of consistency is just it's insane especially you know when we have the amount of games that we had i think it was we had six games in 22 days i mean it, it really is crazy and and uh the phoenix rising twitter had a really interesting statistic i'm looking it up here because uh, i, I want to catch it again but it was something like in 1800 minutes of play during the 20 20 game win streak we had only been we'd only trailed i think 74 minutes out of the 1800 minutes during the streak uh which that i mean that's another thing that's just absolutely um it's obscene it's a very odd feeling i feel very fortunate to have been some part of of this streak uh what watching on it reporting on it taking photos of it whatever you want to call it we were all part of something that was truly historic that you just don't see in sports, period. No, you're absolutely right. And I think particularly in soccer because, okay, maybe basketball, there's so much scoring, especially the NBA, you can form super teams. It's not to diminish the accomplishment, but it's easier to get a 20-game win streak. You might see that happen like once a decade or once every 15 years. In soccer, just the nature of the game, how low scoring it is, it almost never happens. I mean, it really has never happened in the U.S., in in professional soccer history in the U.S. So, um, kudos to the team. Like you said, Kyle, there were so many times where this streak could have easily ended, but the guys just had a mentality about them that refused to lose mentality, which they showed yesterday, too. Unfortunately, the luck wasn't on Phoenix's side for once, but they still had that same mentality. They were still fighting to the death, and, you know, the bounces don't go Phoenix's way last night, but you cannot do anything but applaud the effort. And I think on that note, we could probably shift to the match itself, unless anyone had any points they wanted to add. I think we're good. All right, so we get into this match... Um, I don't think any of us watched the first half particularly closely compared to the second half, and that's probably for the best because there really wasn't much going on in the first half in this match. Um, starting lineups, you know, Fresno put out a fairly strong side. A couple interesting guys that they left off the starting 11. They left Jamal Johnson off and brought him on as a sub. Jackson gets a lot of time for them, but he came on as a sub. Or he didn't even come on yesterday. He was on their bench. For Phoenix... Um, Cochran starts alongside Whelan. I think everyone was expecting Whelan to get one of those starting center back spots, but Cochran instead of Farrell or Mala next to him. Dia Dumboya on the wings. Musa Vassal um, as defensive mids. Flemings, Aguinaga, Asante, and Adam John round out the starting 11. Any surprises there? I mean... Not for me. I think, I think you know, we've seen a lot more rotation lately from Rick Schantz. Maybe the midfield, but I think Vassal, he's really shown a lot lately for me. And to see Aguinaldo 
going to get back in the midfield. I think, you know, that was to be expected. Maybe Musa, but I think in a match like this, Musa, you know, he, he played very well. Um, and, you know, it can be him or Lambert on any night, I think. They, they both are so great at what they do. You know, it's a little bit surprising to me to see that Farrell has um, been relegated to a bench role. Um, I, I, I understand. I get it in terms of Corey Whelan. I mean, well, first of all, Corey has now with this game, Corey has four matches played. Um, he uh, And I forget if he's a lone player. No, he's an actual signed player. No, we so signed we him. Yeah, so we don't have to worry about him getting five starts. Uh, with Vassal, we do. This was his sixth game, so it wasn't it wasn't required for him to be playoff eligible. But I, I just find it interesting that Farrell has been relegated to a bench role here. Uh, I think, in my opinion, if I'm choosing between Farrell and Cochran, I think that I, I give Farrell just a, a little bit more. Uh, I just give him a little bit more trust um, than Cochran and. I think he's got better speed. I think he's got a little bit faster, uh, a, a little faster movement on the field. But that's just perspective. I mean, it really could go either way when it when you're talking about that back line. I think Farrell is a better fit for us at center back. Cochran came from ATL two, had some experience with the MLS side, um, and so he's definitely one of the higher caliber center backs. And his passing is elite. His passing is, you know, at the top of the top for the USL Agreed. Championship Agreed. and probably at a higher level than even the USL Championship. The one thing that he struggles with sometimes is tracking back on counterattacks and dealing with speedy attackers, um, as we saw on Fresno's first goal in this match. I think Farrell does a better job, you know, not to say he's perfect, but what Farrell doesn't quite have in the passing game, he more than makes up for by getting back on those counterattacks and being able to better handle those speedy attackers. And he's he's just as physical as Cochran, too. Cochran's a big physical guy in the box, but so is Farrell. Farrell's really stepped into his own uh, shoes in that role. And, you know, this is going to be more for offseason, but I'd much rather have Farrell back for next season than Cochran if we had to choose one because that back line's starting to get pretty crowded now. I don't think they're both coming back. Let's put it that way. I think he might be the only one I would want to have back. I mean, other than, um, you know, other than Whelan. So I, I like that, Mala. I think Mala has I, an important role in the rotation. I don't know if Mala has a desire for more minutes like, somewhere else. I like Mala role. too, but I. I think that I think what you just said is the absolute truth. But that's a personal opinion, no personal knowledge. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We we are in no ways getting official information about this. It's just it feels like there are too many guys back there, and it's it's gonna be tough for Cochran and Farrell to both be back and getting the minutes they both deserve at this level next year. Um, and we could and we could go on a whole, you know, we can go on a whole tirade about how this roster is really built to push each other. To become better players, whether it's Wazinski, Lubin, um, you know the eight, uh, the Cochran, Farrell, uh, Whelan, and um, uh, Mala situation. I mean, everybody here has somebody basically nipping at their heels. But at some point, 
something's going to have to give. And, uh, you know, we have, have to look at development also. Yeah, for sure. Um, but with that, let's let's get into the match itself. Um, in the first half, Adam John right away is trying to get involved. He has a couple shots. In the second minute, he has a shot blocked. Fourth minute, he has a shot that's off the mark. But you like to see him getting involved like that. Um, Flemings has a couple chances. Um, he misses one of the 16th. Uh, there was one sequence that didn't even count as a shot, but um, Peter Lee Vassell got a great ball on the right wing, and he got past a Fresno defender, and he slid it for Adam John. If John was ready for the pass and was able to one-time it, Phoenix probably scores in this sequence. Um, I think he was probably expecting PLV to shoot because this was close quarters in the box, but he wasn't quite ready, and he lost the ball, and Fresno was able to clear. Um, besides that, I mean, Phoenix... Still had the majority of possession in the first half. Fresno didn't have too many chances of note. Um, you know, like one or two chances right before halftime. But, you know, really nothing to speak of. Um, we draw a yellow card. Flemings earns a yellow card on Zachary Ellis Hayden in the 40th minute. And none of our guys get carded in the first half. So, you know, at halftime, I'm thinking... I see the score 0-0 zero, zero as, I'm, as I'm getting it on the TVs. I'm like, this is kind of perfect. This is how many of our road matches have gone. And then in the second half, we can get a goal. Our defense is going to be resolute. We got this right where we want it. What were you guys thinking? I mean, I, I kind of was in the similar, you know, place thinking, yeah, I mean, we've done this, you know, time and time again on the road and we had the, the chances early and it seemed like, I mean, there was definitely, there was going to be some goals to be had. Um, for Phoenix, I think really it was just, you know, a lack of sharpness on our finishing. And like you said, those few opportunities in the first half that on another night, I think we put those away. Yeah, Aaron, any thoughts on the first half yourself? No, I mean, primarily looking at just statistics, and there's nothing really that, that stands out tremendously. I, I think both teams had an equally poor first half. Uh, no shots on target uh, registered for either team, although, and, and no saves either for Lubin uh, registered. However, in the 45th minute, I did note uh, when I was actually watching, there, it looked like a save. Maybe it was off target based on the angle, so they didn't credit him with an actual save or not um, off, of, off of a header. But, um, you know, coming through the first half, uh, Phoenix had four, uh, four shots. They had uh, one, two, three, four, five shots, and that was about it. Pretty quiet first half. Yeah, I think, I think definitely both teams were trying to feel each other out. The first match between these teams ended nil-nil, and so... You know, both teams trying to see what the other side brings to the table. No one wants to uh, play their hand too soon and risk it all. Um, so it, it, it ends up 0-0 going into the second half. Um, and in the second half, definitely the intensity picks up for both teams. Even before the goal, Phoenix creates a couple chances. Fresno has a really good chance before their first goal. And it's not actually in the uh, event description, but someone was able to play a ball into the box. And uh, a Fresno guy had a great header that was bound for the back of the net, except Corey Whelan clears it off the back line. 
great play by him to keep the score nil-nil. But at that point, oh, it was Jamie Chavez um, with a header that was cleared off the line. Um, and so from that point, it's more game on. And, uh, and it, I mean, you're thinking at this point, there's probably going to be a goal at some point. Both teams make substitutions. Um, Kudus Lawal actually comes on for Suleiman Samura. Suleiman Samura goes down with an injury. And, Kyle, this is a big talking point because Lawal, less than 10 minutes in, ends up scoring the first goal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it really is, you know, it's one of those things that he comes on to replace a guy, but, you know, turns out being, you know, the super sub for his team and, and getting the first breakthrough. So, I mean, really, you know, it turned out to work in Fresno's favor. And I think it's one of those things where for so many matches in this streak, the luck's been, our, been on our side. That's one of those things where the luck isn't on our side because I don't think Fresno was planning to bring him on as early as they did without the injury happening. Then he gets on the pitch earlier. He's able to make a more immediate impact and score within 10 minutes of coming on. Kavon Lambert also came on for Jose Aguinaga in the 66th minute. Um, and Fleming's had a shot right before the goal. And then the goal itself is just a very, very weird play. Kyle, what did you see on this goal? Yeah, I mean, like you said, we, you know, Fleming's had a good opportunity right before that. And Fresno, you know, is able to, to get us on a little bit of a counter. And then it seems like our defense, there's just a little bit of a miscommunication between, it looks like Whelan and Cochran, you know, both of them, no, neither of them step up. Um, and, you know, really, it's one of those, it's one of those plays that when you're watching on TV, you can see what's happening, I think. Um, you know, looking at the field, it just seems like the entire players were completely out of sort. Dumbuya just getting back late and not being able to get in front of the shot. This really was just, you know, blown defensive assignments, it seemed like. Um, really, Fresno, or uh, what was his name? Ludal made something out of nothing there. For me, that was, you know, great, great play by that uh, individual play by the substitute. Well, and, and credit to... Uh the Fresno attackers for making good supporting runs, particularly Jaime Chavez, because Whelan's up on on the uh, wall, but then he has to track back and, and go over to get Chavez because Chavez is making a great run on the right. If he doesn't track back, then is going to play a ball through for Chavez, and he's going to be one-on-one in close quarters. This is the part where um, Cochran needs to step up to the ball and try to make a better effort to block it and this is something that we've seen before. Hasn't burned Phoenix as much in other parts of this streak. But here, I mean, he allows LaWall to get a very clean effort off. And these are professional players we're talking about. If you leave a guy unmarked from the top of the 18-yard box, even if there are a couple bodies that are kind of standing like 9, 10 yards back, these are pro guys. You can curl the ball into the corner. So good on LaWall for coming in and making that happen, but... The defense definitely left us a little wanting there. And uh, you could tell how much this meant to Fresno. The celebration on this goal, you know, the whole bench was clearing. They were setting off all sorts of smoke. It was, it was wild. It felt like it was their Super Bowl or their USL Cup. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's, I mean, that's even my girlfriend said that. She, she was like, they just, they scored one goal. Why are they acting like they, they just won the championship? 
And I mean, for them, I guess it probably did feel like it. And it really was. I mean, for them, you know, the goal was coming and for them to be able to go out there and grab it. Um, that was huge. And, and to be fair, this is probably the biggest win for Fresno FC in their club's history. Yeah, I, I, could, I couldn't think of another that would that would, you know, rival this one um, to, you know, take the first place team in the league. When you you know they were in in third place um, at the start of the match, uh, I mean, and to clinch playoffs and to end our streak, it, it easily has to be the biggest win in franchise history. Well, and they were just coming off of a of a five nothing victory over RGV. Now, winning beating RGV isn't that, that's like that's not the big deal, but the way that they did it, they just putting up five the way that they did um, in in various different ways. Uh, it's just like they're sort of hitting their peak of play uh, at the right time. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you're a Fresno supporter, you're on cloud nine. I mean, this is... Even, I feel like even when they were winning matches this season, it was more like grinding out results, like getting good 1-0 or 2-1 here, um, you know, taking care of the teams they're supposed to beat, but they weren't thrashing people. And so to have a week where you beat RGB 5-0... And then three, and, and then, then three days later, later, you end our streak and you beat the best team in league history. It's a pretty big deal. I'd be pumped too. Yeah. No. No. You're absolutely right. And I mean, they they didn't even make playoffs last year. So for them, I mean, this this is you know this is one of those games that they'll they'll always remember. And yeah, big deal, big week for them. And. Aaron said it. They're hitting their stride, you know, at the right time, cementing their place um, at the top of the Western Conference. So going going back to the match, 75th minute, there's a pretty fiery sequence that I think maybe Fresno should not have uh, gotten Phoenix riled up here. I mean, it starts with Ellis Hayden winning a yellow card against Amadou Dia. Amadou Dia commits a pretty obvious foul. I think it's a pretty fair yellow card. Um, there, it gets into a whole shouting and shoving match, you know, almost the whole, uh, 22 guys on the pitch end up in a circle near each other. A lot of shoving. Two Fresno players are shown yellow cards here. Lawal, the goal scorer gets one. And then Kurimoto complains to the ref. He ends up getting one too in the 77th minute. And, uh, that really sets the tone for absolute chaos and mayhem that's about to occur. In the final 15 minutes, it kind of all gets set off on this seemingly innocent sequence. I mean, what were you guys thinking when when the when it ends up being a huge scrum there? I, I mean, for me, I think it it was a good sign. Um, it was showing, you know, we we were still you know, holding in. Starting to get in Fresno's head a little bit, and if we could get them to be emotional and maybe get a, get a red card out of it, I think it absolutely would work in our favor. I think you hit it. You hit it on the head. Uh, <laughs> exactly, because one of the things that we're so good at is screwing with people's minds, and we're really able to do that. And I think um, where we did not succeed in this match is. I think that they, well, you can't 
their composure because we had this whole scrum sort of situation in the first place. Uh, but it didn't put them... They were able to keep themselves in it without going overboard. Um, and I think that that, you know, it really negated part of uh, what gives Phoenix Rising so much success. In the immediate aftermath, though, things work out pretty well for us. A um, couple of minutes later... Dumboya wins a free kick, and we get a, a chance just past midfield. And James Musa steps up, and he hits a pretty hopeful ball. Ends up being right on the money. Put this pass in the Louvre. Perfect ball, a 50-yard ball, hitting Junior Fleming's in stride, who then has a perfect chest uh, to control the ball, and then one times it through the keeper's legs to knot this up at one. This is one of the more stunning goals that Phoenix has scored this season. Yeah, it was a be- yeah. it was a beautiful, goal. really, really beautiful. Uh, just everything from the start. Uh, we were kind of talking about it at the beginning, trying to remember who actually plays. It was a very AJ Cochran esque ball uh, that went up. Uh, we had a couple great assists by Cochran uh, to move the ball forward, but it c- comes off the foot of James Musa. Who, by the way, in that prior scrum, uh, I'm amazed that he did not he did not throw a blow. Uh, he is my favorite player. I love James Musa, especially in situation uh, some mentality. Uh, but here, Musa is able to do it with his foot, uh, and Fleming's able to come down with it. Not a handball, C.J. Cochran. Uh, he played it well and uh, really, really nicely done. And at yeah. this, and at yeah. this, I, go for it, Kyle. I, I mean, it, the the ball from Musa there is just insane. And it, you know, when he first takes the pass, you're almost thinking, "What is he doing? Why is he playing such a long ball?" But you know, Flemings creates the space and controls it, and I, a beautiful, beautiful goal. And I mean, you know, it's unfortunate that I think due to the result, this goal doesn't get the recognition that it deserves. Absolutely, this will be. This will be on my list of probably the most 10 impressive goals of the season. And we've had quite a few. Um, right after that, Phoenix is going for the win, trying to keep the streak going. Joey Calistri comes on for Peter Lee Vassell. And uh, at this point, you know, right before that, I had a tweet that I put out there, time for a Tacoma comeback. And we get the goal right away. And it, it's feeling like, oh, man, like all the momentum's on our side now. All the guys have the right mentality. This is going to happen. And then moments later, such a scrappy junk ball situation for Fresno that ends up with them getting a penalty kick. The ball should never have even gotten to the center of the box in the first place. Um, It's kind of like a counterattack, but a challenge made and kind of unlucky by Cochran that the ball ends up still staying on uh, Lawal's foot, which puts all the defenders in a bad place now because now Whelan's tracking back. But it was a very fortunate bounce because that challenge could have easily knocked the ball out of bounds for a throw-in and stopped the attack. Instead, the ball bounces perfectly for Fresno. They're able to keep their momentum going. And now it's an odd man situation. And then kind of a weird ball for um, Devin Yao. And... I'm not going to lie, in lifetime, this looked like a penalty to me on the replay. 
there is no contact between Doomboya and Yao. Yao sells this. Um, sells it beautifully, and the ref went for it. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. I'm watching it right now, and absolutely live time. And I... Th- I think, you know, something that definitely will play in the referee's mind as well is there's four rising players surrounding him right then. And, you know, he definitely thinks that someone made contact with him. But Dumbuya, I mean, to get in there and make that tackle, it is all ball that he gets with his feet. It's it's still a dangerous tackle because, you know, he, he, on another day he might, you know, catch catch um, catch the player there. But, I mean, it really just so unfortunate that, you know, that is called a penalty because looking at the replay – um, it, it was a very clean tackle. Did you guys know that that's Yao's first appearance for Fresno? I did not. Yeah, that's his first 19 minutes. That's it. Wow. That's all he's played for Fresno this year. Kind of well, sucks. He... sucks we were on the back end of that. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, like we've said, it, it had to happen eventually. And I think, uh, you know, we can look forward to to the future now and to starting another win streak. Come on, Devon, you got to be better than that. <laughs> Diving and and it is tough because in in lifetime, like it, it really looks like a Doom Boy is on the ground. He's falling to the ground. The ball goes in a different direction. Like there have been pretty. It kind of looks like a penalty, but what threw it off, I think, is that Yao got the first touch on the ball, but then Duboya deflects the ball away and so Dumboya actually only makes contact with the ball and then Yao is like oh crap I lost it I might as well dive and see what happens and it works out for them but you know we've had a couple lucky calls go our way too so I there's no point in you know I'll save the internet outrage for other people I don't have a lot of outrage because I know we've had some good bounces too you know things even up I think that's not that's ultimately the hardest thing about not about this loss is like we're like well hell you know stuff's bounced our way so like whatever forget about it (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely it's it's one of those things that i mean it's it's gonna happen every dog has their day and unfortunately it wasn't ours and um yeah we've had a lot of lucky calls and and this one was not one of them and you know that's just that's just how it plays out. But I think uh, I think ultimately, you know, this this is the loss that we needed. Well, and and Phoenix still tries to avoid this loss. Moments later, um, Solomon Asante. Both teams make substitutions. Ben Spencer comes on for Cochran, and we're going guns blazing. If we're gonna end this streak, we're gonna give it our best shot. Fresno makes a sub. I don't know why they wait this long to bring on Jamal Johnson, who is a prolific goal scorer. He was their leading scorer last year, but I'm not their manager. And their manager beat us, so he must be doing something right. But then Asante in the 85th minute, very clever shot. The ball is going just outside the box, and instead of uh, you know trying to cross the ball back in, kind of catches everyone off guard and tries to do a quick shot, his trademark quick uh, right-footed shot. Elijah Martin's hand, way out of place. 10 out of 10, penalty. And kudos to the ref, even though he made the, you know, not the greatest call right before. Elton Garcia points to the spot here. He has the cojones. He does not let the home crowd get to him, and he points directly to the spot. You see a lot of refs hold their whistle in situations like that. 
And uh, the replay showed it was a very clear handball. So Asante steps up, and uh, I just had a not not a funny feeling. Like I was confident he was going to score it, but I do notice that Asante's penalties are mostly low and to the left. And I was kind of surprised he had made so many in a row, because yeah, sometimes he puts it to the right, but if I'm an opposing goalie and I'm seeing all this this footage, I'm thinking. I might as well just go to my right every single time because there's at least a 55-60% chance he's going to go that way. And if he goes that way, I'm probably going to get the save unless he actually puts air on it, which he's been starting to do. Sure enough, Asante keeps it low. And it's almost like their goalie, CJ Cocker, knew where it was going before he even shot it. It was an easy save for him. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on this. You know, I. It's more reminiscent of the one that he missed, uh, which before this I think he was. Ten it- for eleven. He was either nine out of ten or ten, 10 of eleven, uh, but he he missed one early on in the season, it, where it didn't feel like it had enough on it, and it didn't feel like the the positioning of it was was right. And I. We've been very very fortunate. We've gotten a lot of calls that have gone our way for lots of different reasons. We put ourselves in the right position to, to be able to earn penalty kicks. Uh, Solomon's been our primary penalty kick taker. That means there's a lot of tape on him. They see it. They see this statistics. They can see if he's going to st- where he's lining up. Uh, I mean, it, it's too predictable at this point. Um, do Does that mean we need to have Adam John start taking uh, – not start taking, but at least work him into the mix. I don't know the answer to that, but I, I think that something has to be changed up either in the style of kick that he's taking or in the player that's actually taking the kick as we're heading into the end of the season. Kyle, what say you? I mean, I don't know if I go as drastically as to change the player who's taking the kicks. I think, you know, Asante is still our number one penalty kick taker. But Aaron does make a great point. And, I mean, Cochran absolutely knows where Asante is going here. And, and it, he's he's making that move. You know, as soon as Asante touches the ball, he's diving to his right to make that save. And um, I, think, I think the save you were thinking of earlier in the season was um, that co- – Colorado Springs match yep. where the exact Abraham same Rodriguez disaster. Yes. 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 Exactly. That same penalty shot, and it's the same result. Uh, you know, Rodriguez makes the save there, and um, there's you know that's going to be one thing that Shantz you know needs to think of, and maybe he needs to talk to Solo, and they need to see more variation in his penalty technique because you know there will be a time where you know he will be called upon in the playoffs and we're going to need him to be able to convert in that crucial moment. And, you know, those teams are going to have plenty of film to watch at that point. And realistically, if I was going to say, you know, there, there's one penalty kick that is memorable from the 2019 season. Uh, you know, Asante has, he's, uh, Asante has nine for penalty kicks, but the one that I will always remember is the, is the Paneka from uh, Adam John. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was a great one. I was with Dom in the supporters, and, and we were going off. I remember it clearly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Asante, 
I'm all for a guy having a go-to penalty because I think Drogba's go-to penalty was very similar. But one dude is Didier Drogba and you're basically crapping your pants if you're the goalie and you see him stepping out there. <laughs> the other dude's five foot two, so there's not quite that same intimidation factor. As as mentally tough as Asante is, he doesn't have the same intimidation factor. And so you don't just freeze up. You're like, all right, if the tape's telling me to go this way, I'll go this way. Um, and actually, both both penalties, the goalie guessed right. Um, so we might as well get to the other one. You know, a couple chances created. Asante has a chance that doesn't quite make it. John tries. But, you know, kudos to Solo. He's a dog. And he's just going to keep working his tail off until they blow that final whistle. He doesn't mope. He doesn't pout after that missed penalty. He's immediately trying to get it again. And in the first minute of stoppage time, he uh, he earns another penalty. <laughs> Excuse me there. Um, earns another penalty. Another ball that pretty clearly hits a guy's hand. And this strike actually might have been goal-bound if it wasn't handballed. So, very clear yellow card by Michael Daly this time. And Asante gets his second chance. I, I think that's right. You know, Asante earned both penalties, so more than in some cases, he's the guy that should take it. And it's just bad luck here. You know, he this time he kept it off the ground. If he keeps the ball inside the post, it's going to go in. He just can't keep it inside the post. Um, he had the right mindset. He didn't want it. He wanted to put it in a place where it can't be saved, and it just, uh, just didn't quite work out there. But what are you guys' thoughts on the second one? Kind of I mean, the tail of the night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it it really was. It just it just was not his night. And I mean, I'm I was all for Asante taking it. I mean, that's exactly what you want your penalty, you know, kick taker to have another opportunity right away and erase that memory. Um, but I mean, for Asante there, like you said, he tries something completely different and it's just unfortunate there. And, you know, Cochran is still very close. It's hard to tell whether his fingertips just touch it and push it to the post. But I mean, you know, for Asante, it really like, it just wasn't his night. I mean, that's really all you can say. It wasn't the team's night. Um, we just, we were unfortunate. And, uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's the way that the ball rolls sometimes for 20 straight matches, you know, we were on the, the good side of it and you know this was the night that we just weren't and solomon did come on twitter afterward uh did make a statement said felt disappointed with the loss missed two penalties missed three points missed chances uh unluckily we we just weren't lucky uh let's look forward and prepare for the next championship game and realistically uh, you know th that's what needs to happen is we need to not worry about a hangover this is what it is. It happened. It's over with, and on to the next match. Exactly. On to Albuquerque. Um, the one, the one point from this that I think does deserve a little bit of discussion is, you know, penalties have always been our Achilles' heel. Phoenix Rising is zero and four in penalty kick shootouts in its in its franchise history. As Phoenix Rising, um, you go back to the twenty seventeen playoffs tough shootout loss to Swope Park, um, a game that I still am triggered by. Um, Preseason of 2018, not that it mattered that much, but we lose in, in uh, Quito in that shootout. We lose in the Open Cup this year, and there's definitely one other one I'm missing. 
Oh, it was the Open Cup Sporting last year. Arizona. Yeah, we, we yeah, lose in that one. Sporting AZ. And what concerns me a little bit, I hope that they do a ton of penalties in practice because you guys are on the money. Asante's been the kick taker in match situations. Adam John hasn't had any in months. And beyond him and Asante, there's really no one that, that takes penalties on a on much of a basis at all. For at all. Prizes. Adam John is the only other player that's taken a penalty this season. So you get down to those three, four, five guys, and that's generally been the spot where we screw it up. Um, I don't have a ton of confidence. I hope that we're working on it really hard because if I'm any other team in the Western Conference, I'm just trying to get us to a shootout and see what happens because you have better odds in a shootout than at any other point in a playoff situation. You know, Thankfully, last year we didn't have to go through one of those, but it 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 is a cause for concern and you know until we get that monkey off the back i'm always going to have that in the back of my mind i guess i i would like to see some other guys get penalties before the end of the regular season in match situations especially if it's a non-competitive situation if it's like a 3-0 in the 81st minute why not give junior flemings a shot Yeah. No, I I mean, great point. And it, it's absolutely something that, you know, I'm always wary of too. And especially when it comes to playoffs, um, because it, it has been our, like you said, our Achilles heel in the past. And it's something that, um, you know, it's concerning. But I, I mean, you have, have to think that Rick Shantz and, and Peter Ramage and Blair and, you know, all the rising staff that they're just drilling this, that, you know, we need to have a deep penalty kick roster and guys that can get it done on any night because, you know, um, we were fortunate last year, as you said, to not have to result to that. And, you know, this year, teams will definitely be playing for that. So a couple things just to know uh, as we're finishing up finishing up uh, talking about the match here. Uh, yes, Phoenix Rising uh, win streak does end at, at 20 matches. Uh, however, Junior Flemings does get the 14th goal of the season. And uh, Phoenix Rising's magic, magic number to clinch the overall number one seat in USL Championship is four. Uh, three ties it. We still probably win on uh, on on um, tiebreakers, but the official magic number is four at this point. I think a couple other things from this match that are just small points but positive points. We outpossess Fresno fifty nine percent to forty one. We have more total shots, more shots on target. Um, you know, way more passes. Almost four hundred completed passes to their two sixty three. Much better pass accuracy, you know, seventy five percent against that defense on a small field is really still solid. lower than that eighty percent mark, though. I mean, you know, really that eighty percent mark is where we see our see our success. True, but we've we've won games on the road with like seventy five percent, and yeah, it's not it's not a terrible match, you know. More shots, more on target, more possession. You can't be too upset about all that. They definitely a gave a good effort, and it just didn't quite work out. But with all, with all that being said, though, um, we'll cover a couple quick team news things and then get to previewing New Mexico in a huge, huge match next Saturday. Um, team of the Week was announced. Austin Ledbetter made USL Team of the Week. 
his first ever appearance in USL Team of the Week. So a humongous congratulations to Austin for that. And very well-deserved honor. I mean, he's been stepping up more and more as the season's progressed. And uh, very, very well-earned recognition there. Um, especially playing so well in that in that really hard-fought 1-0 win over Vegas. Also on the list is Junior Fleming's. He gets a brace on Saturday. He makes honorable mention. USL Team of the Week. And with that, we can go to previewing New Mexico United, who amazing. Well, l- let me mention one. Oh, let me mention it. one other one other thing that isn't really league news, uh, but it's just a really interesting story that if you hadn't heard it, um, it, it's one it's one that just really really tugs at the heartstrings. Um, one of the uh, uh, over in in uh, Sacramento, one of the Sacramento Republic players. Uh, his father passes away only about three hours before their match on Saturday. Or uh, I don't know if it was on Saturday, but it was early this week. Uh, passes away about th- uh, three hours before the match. Sh- the guy shows up in the 70th-something minute. He scores a goal, um, immediately recognizes the gravity of the situation, puts his hand hands to his face, begins crying, he didn't tell any of his teammates. He didn't tell any of the coaching staff uh, what he was going through. Uh, one of his players comes up to con- uh, his teammates comes up to congratulate him, and you can see him on the video telling, you know, whispering in his ear, you know, my dad, Pat, my dad just died, and the his teammate goes from utter jubilation, and you just see his face melt. Um, and in that moment, uh, you know, I just. I am I like I'm sitting in my office and I like almost lost it. Um, it really was a very intense moment between two teammates um, in, in a very you know charged game. Really, kind of just goes to show you the power of what happens in team sports and what can happen in the field and the bonds that that are produced. So, you know, uh, you know, hearts hearts go out to everybody who. We always have to remember these these are people and. And a lot of these guys are guys that they don't live here, you you know, uh, um, whether it's Asante who loses his father earlier in the season or this player, his father was in Poland. I'm actually looking this up now. Across an entire ocean. Yeah, Dairush uh, Formella comes on as a sub. The game-winning goal against RGV last Sunday. Game-winning goal. Um, And it actually got... Weirdly enough, a lot of press in Spanish news, like Marca covered this story a day or two ago. And, um, wow. I mean, thank you for sharing that. That's absolutely incredible. And, you know, we wish him and his family well. And it is, it is the power of sport, you know. Those moments tend to happen a lot. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. It's, it's hard to find anything else where those kind of genuine magical moments happen. You can look at, you know, in baseball, the Angels threw a no-hitter the night they were honoring, uh, I think Tyler Skaggs was the guy that that passed away tragically this year. Um, There was a game last year where D. Gordon, a a baseball player, hit a home run the first pitch of his first at-bat after his father had passed away, and he hardly ever hits home runs. Just those kinds of things. There's just these special moments. So thank you for sharing that. 
yeah, search that out. It, it, it's a definitely a tearjerker for for anybody who takes a look. Um, moving on to, uh, you know, a much more USL related, or I guess more serious note. Um, Team rated. Yeah, we are we are traveling to New Mexico next Saturday. I will be there. I will be um, linking up with Phoenix Rising fans and a couple New Mexico ones. I will be um, trying to do a midweek preview of this match. This match has huge implications for the Four Corners Cup. We've been alluding to it in the last few weeks. But basically, it goes like this. If New Mexico wins this match, they win the Four Corners Cup. They're going to go crazy. They're going to celebrate on their own pitch. They're going to lift a trophy as their guys are going off the pitch. That would be disgusting. If we draw, we are in the driver's seat because the only remaining match is us hosting Monarchs on October 12th. If we win, we're really in the driver's seat. If we win this uh, match against New Mexico, we only need to draw against Monarchs to win the cup. If we draw against New Mexico, we need to win against Monarchs. That's basically how it works. As long as we don't lose, we're really solidly in the driver's seat for bringing that cup home. And uh, if we can get a win out of it, it makes it that much easier. But if we lose, New Mexico brings it brings it home with them. And we don't want to see that. Definitely not. One yeah, very, absolutely not. One very important note about New Mexico. Owain Evans had a tweet yesterday. It looks like Santi Moore is going to miss this match due to yellow card accumulation. This is a massive break for us. As Santi Moore was the lone goal scorer for New Mexico in their 3-1 loss to Reno on Friday. Yeah, that that's definitely huge. Um, and Moore definitely has, has cooled off. He started the season just incredibly hot, currently sitting on 11 goals, uh, with four of those goals coming in the first four matches of the season, and then another three of those 11 goals coming uh, just three matches later. So, uh, you know, he had he had seven goals in mid-April, and it looked like the guy was going to just destroy the league. But he's got a lot of time in between goals, uh as far as the rest of the season is concerned. Bigger bigger concern still stands to be Kivon Freider. Uh, Kivon Freider also happens to be on yellow card accumulation warning. So does that mean that he's going to go into this match maybe a little bit more tentative because he has the potential to miss uh, another match um, if he picks up yet another yellow card? He actually leads... Kevon Freider actually leads the league in yellow cards, which is hugely <laughs> surprising to me. Yeah, he's got 10. So he yeah, already got suspended once for it. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know if it's 10 or if it's 11. Uh, what I'm looking at does say 10, but I thought I read something on the uh, on the uh are you on the USL's site? No, I'm just I'm just I just looked him up and is his stats on yeah. Google. Yeah. Nothing too high-tech there. Still, I mean, way more than you would expect uh, uh, You would expect a striker to have. Well, he does bring that fire to it, and he's been freed, I think, um, to be one of the key players in their, in their attack. <laughs> I mean, 
the dude has a knack for scoring clutch goals, but he also has a knack for playing with a lot of fire and tenacity. And we didn't get to see that as much last season because he was starting regularly for us and because we had more enforcers in our lineup. You know, Phoenix, we have Kavon Labber. We have James Musa. We have Duigi Mola. We have dudes that are physical, that are tough. I don't think New Mexico has that as much. I mean, Mizell is, is a force to be reckoned with in goal, but their back four is nothing to write home about. Um, they're, you know, even defensive midfielders, they're starting Sam Hamilton. I don't know if a title-winning team is going to be starting Sam Hamilton regularly. No offense to him. I think he's a guy that has a role in the USL Championship. I just don't think a team with title aspirations is going to be starting in most weeks. And yet, New Mexico is doing that. So, Freighter is kind of kind of the most physical guy on that team. You know, maybe Devin Sandoval up top can be physical, but they don't really have a true enforcer. And so, maybe Freighter has to step into that role more. Point there. And the, the big takeaway here for me is New Mexico's defense is trash. They can be had. Since they shut out El Paso on July 31st, a Jerome Keyswetterless El Paso, New Mexico has conceded at least two goals in one, two, three, four, five. 19 in, in, goals in, in two eight, months. And in eight of their, in seven of their last nine matches, they've conceded at least two goals. They have had zero shutouts since that shutout on July 31st. Even Colorado Springs scored one against them. So this is a team that can definitely be had. And before that, it was May 5th that they that it shut, shut San Antonio out. So, yeah, you're, you've got a really good point there. They, these guys, are, their defense leaks like a sieve. I mean, they've conceded 51 goals on the season. The only other team that's in the playoff picture that is conceded more is Los Dos. But I think a lot of that is, I mean, I guess you could say Timbers too is also in the playoff picture, but those teams are more committed to the developmental style and they aren't as concerned. You know, they're going to be games where they concede four or five because they're sticking to, they're not playing it as pragmatically every match. They're just trying to develop players. New Mexico's conceded 51 goals. That's a ton that's more than Vegas. That's more than OKC. That's more than Austin. More than even Monarchs and Reno. I mean, that's a lot of goals. So they can definitely be had there. But they're also going to present a lot of challenges for our defense, as we've already seen. Yeah, their distribution in terms of their uh, the pl their players scored is really, really strong, almost as strong as Phoenix. Uh, Kivon Freda with 14 goals, Santi Moore with 11 Uh who looks like they'll be playing without. But they still have Devin Sandoval with nine goals and Chris Weehan with eight. Uh, after that, it, it falls off pretty dramatically uh, with with three players with two goals each and then three more players with one goal each. Uh, but, you know, even without Santi Moore in there, you're still looking at a front three of Freighter, Sandoval, and Weehan. Uh, that, that it, well, Weehan's a midfielder, but there's nothing to laugh at here. No, and it's a team where if we aren't pushing our foot to the gas, they can put two or three in the net in a very short amount of time. 
Yeah, that's that's a great point, and I, I think at home, especially, you know, they're going to be feeding off the the atmosphere. Um, I mean, it, they are definitely going to be dangerous, but for Phoenix, I mean, there's goals to be had, and I think that's going to be the message from Rick is that you know this team is vulnerable. We just need to put ourselves in those good situations defensively to you know eliminate their opportunities, and I think the goals will come for us. New Mexico hasn't beaten a true like top six team in the Western Conference in a very long time. You'd have to go back to the early parts of the season. Sacramento Republic, they got a 2-1 win at Sacramento on July 24th. So that that's a fair result for them. But they really have struggled against teams that are playoff caliber. They lost 2-0 at home to Orange County on September 1st. They lost 3-1 at home to Reno this weekend. They did get a 3-1 win in OKC, but OKC might find themselves on the outside looking in when this is all said and done. They lost 3-2 at Timbers 2. Drew 2-2 at home against Los Dos. 5-0 loss in San Antonio. So these these results are not encouraging if you're looking at it from New Mexico's standpoint. If you're looking at it from our standpoint, they are not stopping playoff caliber attacks. Yep. Yep. That I mean that's the big takeaway that you can you know you can see from all that. And, and I mean for us, you have to say that that bodes well. However, as Stephen A. Smith would say, <laughs> this is a hashtag rivalry game. It's it's Four Corners Cup. You could be looking at hashtag ma attendance record numbers in New Mexico for this match. There's a huge uh, Somos ABQ festival going on that day, so it will most likely be a particularly raucous atmosphere at Isotopes Park. They're going to be giving it their absolute best shot. New Mexico always gets up to play us. And with their playoff hopes on the line, they have a lot to be fighting for here. Only five matches left, and they're really on the fringes right now. They're battling for those last couple spots. So I expect to see a charged atmosphere and a good effort from them. What do you guys say about score predictions here? Do we really have to do this? (laughs) Oh, it's so so tough, man. Yeah, I mean, this is hard. I for me, I mean, I'm I'm gonna be optimistic and say there's you know there's a lot of goals to be had, and the match ends four two rising. Six goals like the last match, but we come out with uh, with four of them and get the win. All right. Uh, you said four nothing. He said four two. Four two. No. Four, four, four two. two. Four two. There. You know, I, God, I, I'd say that that's pretty fair. I bet it's going to be a little tighter. I say we win three two. Um, three two in New Mexico. Aaron, you stole my number. I was, I was thinking. I still think it could be two two, but I think three two is more likely. Had we not lost in Fresno, I could see it being a draw. But I think. The fact that we are coming off a loss, I think Shantz is going to work these guys hard this week. And we're going to be ready to go in this match. And I expect to see a real, real playoff atmosphere and a real playoff effort from Phoenix to match that. Um, Maybe a dramatic late winner. 
New Mexico's had our number this season, and I think this is the match where we kind of give them a taste of their own medicine. And uh, it, I'm hoping that happens because it would be extremely satisfying. But it, it is going to be a tough match, no doubt about it. All right, well, these two gentlemen, just for all of our listeners, we are recording on Sunday evening. Uh, these two gentlemen have to wake up early in the morning. Uh, so although I am the old man of the three of us, uh, they're the ones with the early schedules. Um, so what do we say about moving on to uh, conference standings? Let's do it. Let's let's yep. power through these scores, get to the standings, and, and wrap this baby up. Um, as always, interesting matches in the Western Conference. The Western Conference is Pac-12 after dark if it was an entire conference of soccer teams. It is pure chaos, pure beauty, and that's what you love about it. It just never ceases to amaze. Um, let me pull up some matches here. Things got started on Wednesday this week um, with, obviously, Fresno putting that 5-0 score on RGV. Um, Real Monarchs had a pretty impressive win in the midweek. Not an impressive opponent, but still a very convincing, dominant win by a final score of 4-1 to in Tacoma. That was actually on Tuesday, um, so that bolstered their playoff hopes. On Friday, we already talked about Reno beating New Mexico 3-1. Los Dos and San Antonio battle to a 1-1 draw. Both goals very early in this match. Um, Frank Lopez for San Antonio, Jorge Hernandez for Los Dos, and then a red card from Pekka that Los Dos cannot take advantage of. So the match finishes 1-1 there. Very pragmatic draw. I think that probably helps Los Dos a little more than San Antonio, but I think both teams take it at the end of the day. Um, looking like a baseball score, Timbers 2 gets a 6-3 win over Tacoma on Friday night. That's just pure mayhem when you get those MLS 2 teams together. You never know what's going to happen. Um, yesterday, lots of results. Orange County makes it six straight wins. This one's a really gritty one. They only get a 1-0 in Tulsa, and it's at the very end of stoppage time, no less. Kevin Coleman in the fourth minute of stoppage time keeps that streak going for Orange County who is now in fourth place in the Western Conference. Let's just get some brief comments on that. I'm, I'm, th like we said, they finally found their form. It's it's, it's very surprising. Um, but, I mean, you can also say with, you know, with the team that they have there in Orange County, this is, you know, where they should be in the table. This is where we predicted they would be, you know, at the start of the season. And for them, you know, six wins in a row, they've really uh, hit their stride right now. Yeah, what it comes down to a little bit is that is that the Western Conference has been just a little bit like uh, the Peloton in the Tour de France, right? So everybody, there's a whole grouping that, that sat in the middle. And as we're coming closer to the finish line here, people are starting to break out in the, in the way that we were probably expecting to happen way, way, way earlier in the season. And finally, Orange County seems to be playing uh, like the team that we saw them them last year. And showing that they have some danger to them uh, gives me a little bit of uh, of concern. But you know, we've we've had Orange County's number in the past. We can have it in the future as well. And important to remember, we're going to be playing them at home. We're going to be playing all of these teams at home in the playoffs this year, which is really nice, really convenient. 
Um, other scores in the Western Conference. We got RGV with a surprising 3-1 win over Monarchs. You don't expect to see Monarchs just kind of blow it like that, but they did play in the midweek, so it's not the end of the world for them. RGV gets out to a 3-0 lead in this game, and Monarchs gets a consolation late. El Paso gets their playoff hopes back on the rails with a 2-0 win over Colorado Springs. They waste no time getting in the lead in this match, going ahead in the 22nd minute, and then Alexi Bassetti puts it away in the 90th minute. Very badly needed win for El Paso. And then, rounding things out, OKC and Sac Republic play to a 0-0 draw, a match that goes much better for Sacramento than OKC. OKC badly in need of a win there and yet they only put two shots on target to Sacramento 7. Um, and then in the late match, Austin Bold puts a hurting on Las Vegas. Vegas desperately needed a result here. They actually knotted up at one, but then Kleber has the match of his season, gets a hat trick in this match. Um, 21st minute, 31st minute, another one in stoppage time, and they end up 4-1 over Vegas Lights. I think we can officially bury Las Vegas' playoff hopes. I, it's a little bit too far-fetched now. I think Vegas needed a result there. And even though Austin hasn't been setting the world on fire, they're now at 43 points. I think we can say they're pretty safe to get in the top 10. So we'll run through the standings really quick and then get your guys' thoughts on it. We got Phoenix rising at the top with 71 points. Fresno in second with 56, Reno in third with 53. Here's the part where it gets all bunched up. In fourth place, we have Orange County with 45, Sacramento with 44, Monarchs and Austin Bold each with 43. Monarchs has a match in hand. In eighth and ninth place, we got New Mexico and Los Dos, both on 40 points. And in the final spot, we have El Paso now at 39 points. Still with six matches left, too, so they could definitely move up a few spots if they take advantage. Just outside of the top 10, we have San Antonio at 38 points. Timbers, too, also on 38 points. OKC now at 38 points. They only have four matches left. Vegas only on 35 points, also 30 matches, so only four left. And uh, the rest of the teams are out of it. I think we can throw Vegas in that done pile, too, because... They're now four points back of the final spot, and they only have four matches left. What are your yeah. thoughts here? The, I, I, mean, I, I would say that those last couple, I mean, because from 13, 13, to, 13 to 8, we're still within two points of each other. So this is going to be a real dogfight the last couple of matches. I, I would like to see more about who's playing who, you know, in terms of softness of schedule coming into the end, because maybe that's going to determine whether or not, you know, lights are able to m make it above the line, you know, or Sandy San Antonio can eke out, you know, and, and beat out their their Texas rival El Paso or not. I don't, I don't know. It's it's a, going to be the last two games of the season are just going to be crazy for some of these teams. Absolutely. Um, I think the big winner from this week is probably El Paso because they pick up three points. Granted, very expected three points, but that puts them in the top ten, and they still have six matches left. And they still have 
I guess three of those matches at home and three away. Um, not the easiest away matches either, but th that's a huge help for them in their playoff chances. Um, it, it is really going to come down to the wire. I think the biggest losers from this week are OKC and Vegas because OKC is just, they're just running out of time. Um, you just can't afford to stumble to the finish line the way they have only you know no wins in their last four two losses and a draw in their last three they've shown some some positivity this season some great stretches but not enough consistency in their last four you know with the exception of rgv at home they have los dos away orange county away phoenix rising away so you know a once promising season for them looks like it's going to peter out just short and then vegas also only four matches left and their last four they have away to colorado springs which they have a chance home to san antonio home to reno at new mexico those none of those are cakewalks so i i think they're done too yeah i, I would i would agree with you there i think both of those teams um, their playoff hopes, you know, are, are hanging by a thread right now, and it seems like that it might be unraveling because, um, I mean, OKC especially you mentioned. I mean, they have three straight road games, um, and you know, all places that they're not the easiest to play, and especially ending the scene at, the season at Phoenix. You know, if they're gonna be in it, they're gonna need a result in that match. And uh, yeah, I really think that for both of those teams, you know, it just seems like if they've run out of matches to to get themselves out of these holes so any any final thoughts on on this week before we wrap things up since it is getting late for us old farts in our 20s <laughs> um i mean for me i think you know we just really need to sit back and and look at everything that was accomplished over you know these past four months um, I mean, to to think about this team going on a 20-game win streak, um, it's it's unreal. It's certainly something none of us would have ever expected. And you know, the result last night wasn't what we uh, what we would have wanted. But like we all said, on another night, I think you know, Asante converts those penalties, and we walk out of Fresno with three points, and the streak continues. So it was unfortunate that it ended the way that it did, but. Um, I mean, as Dominic has said time and time again, we have more important matches that uh, we need to get results from, and the first one is this next Saturday in Albuquerque. And following up that match for the, the next Rising is One podcast, we will have a special guest as part of the podcast, so long as we can actually tell them ahead of time appropriately. We will be having uh, the CW street team, Adam Waltz, is going to be joining us uh, for the next Rising is One podcast, so make sure you, uh, you, you catch that one as well. Absolutely. Um, and we love we love him going out of his way to reach out to us. You don't see that kind of engagement very often. Uh, for me, it's just what Kyle was saying. You know, what an impressive streak. But it's a good. This was a good wake up call and a good bit of perspective. Streaks done, great. We haven't accomplished anything yet. The Four Corners Cup is still there to play for. More importantly, the USL Cup is there to play for. Now's the time to forget about the streak focus on getting ourselves ready to 
make a run at this cup and do it in the best way possible. And if we happen to set the record for USL points in a season all time, we need seven from our last five matches. That's great. But, uh, or seven from our last four matches, excuse me. We could do that. Two of those will be at home. But now is a chance to reset, refocus, and, you know, just get back to basics and not have that weight of the streak on us anymore. To me, this happened at the perfect time. I know some people might not like to hear that, but just my opinion. And now we move forward. I'm really excited to see what the rest of the season brings. Yeah, this is a little bit reminiscent of that Las Vegas match that we had at the end of the season last season uh, where we lost, I think, 5-1 or something like that. And I think we put in uh, Dominic's grandmother in, on the back line to, to play, uh, to play, you know, just so that everybody could get a little bit of rest and, and maybe a little bit of perspective, too. So uh, it is what it is, and uh, we're off and running, looking for four points to clinch the uh, the, the uh clinch home field throughout the playoffs and looking for seven points to break yet another record for the 2019 season. I don't know if that's a compliment to my grandmother for being able to get a cap at the championship level or a diss that she would only be used against Vegas lights, but (laughs) it could be both. (laughs) I'm going to have to sit on that one for the next week. Oh dear. (laughs) <laughs> All right, on that note, let's let's wrap this thing up. Thank you guys for joining. Thanks a lot, man. And uh, it'll be a great week. Uh, and uh, we'll see you guys all next week. Uprising. Yeah, uprising. Uprising. The Rising is One podcast is sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex, home of the North Phoenix Soccer League, Summer Futsal, Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. Please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Rising is One podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL. (laughs) 